Hey, um, everybody, this is Dave from Opposing the Matrix, and I'm doing a special show. It's 12.30 in the morning almost. Um, couldn't sleep, so... Actually, the truth is we had a power outage here earlier, and I fell asleep before it and slept almost all the way through it. So, um, anyway, I'm, I'm a little rested, so um, since tomorrow's my last day off, um, I'm going to do a late show tonight and then maybe rest tomorrow. Okay. Tonight I wanted to discuss something that isn't really discussed very much. Um it's called um, COVID long haulers, okay? Now, you know, I've been wanting to say that COVID's not a virus. I still don't think it's a virus. I think it's some kind of other biological weapon that has been very effective, actually, in some of us. Um, for the most part, it's it's not very infectious, and people get over it very easily. Um, but... For a person that's got underlying conditions like I do, it's it's not a pretty thing. It's not fun. Okay, and let me explain to you what's going on here. Um, back in um, well, back in 1991, I was diagnosed with atrial fibrillation, and it was after a surgery I had to have my gallbladder removed. Why that happened, I don't know, but it happened, and hey, it's history. And I've still been putting up with it every once in a while. And because of this, at work, I had, I had something called the FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act, and um, I was able to use it even when I didn't have hours to cover myself. And it was kind of like an insurance policy that they can't get rid of you if, um, if you're sick. Yes, in Oregon, they can fire you for anything they want to. Um, they don't like the way you look. If... Um, you know, you give somebody the stink eye or something, you can be down the road. Um, and that's why I belong to a union. It's the only reason I belong to a union here. Um, anyway, I always get mixed up with this hat. Anyway, um, over the years, I've had other things happen to me. I came down with um, colon cancer, and I had to have surgery for that. And thank God that that's gone. And... Um, and within a period of um, one year, I had four abdominal surgeries, uh, one to, to fix a hernia, two to fix the hernia fix, <laughs> um, one because I had a bowel obstruction after the, um, the cancer surgery and the cancer surgery itself. So um, I've been through a lot, okay? I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm a happy human being, you know, <laughs> for the most part, and... I take things as they come, and, you know, I was always the kind of, if I was a kid, if I stepped on a nail, okay, well, I stepped on a nail, I just keep walking. And that really did happen several times. Um, but anyway, um, so what happened was, um, not this last January, because now it's March of, uh, or April of 2021, but in uh, January of 2020, my wife and I were returning from a visit to my mother in Florida, and one of our layovers was in Chicago, and if you remember your, your history, your COVID history, <laughs> um, Chicago was where one of the first outbreaks was, and it was at O'Hare Airport. Well, we didn't know anything, so we, we just um, deplaned at uh, 
one of the concourses and usually at these big airports you have to walk or sometimes run to your next concourse and our uh, the, the new concourse was two or three concourses over i can't remember right now well anyway we got to where we were going we got to our gate and we noticed that there was a a flight that was getting ready to board uh we got there a little early uh at o'hare you know the gates are perpetually full um you know one gate it it empties out gets onto a plane the people get off and right away people start arriving for the next plane it's it's no rinky dink airport it's the real thing um so uh, we got to our our destined where our our gate and uh, we noticed that there was a lady laying on a movable stretcher um and she had oxygen on she was an african-american lady or it appeared that she was and um, she was laying there and she didn't look like she didn't feel too good so uh, we didn't ask I've learned a long time ago you don't ask questions (laughs) Uh, with HIPAA and everything you know that was they knew about what was going on they were taking care of it well never occurred to me that you know that she had probably sat there and touched surfaces and everything and well you know, we went, we stood for the most part away from the uh, gate. Uh, we had a little while away, but we went and sat down after a little while. And, and by this time, the woman had been taken away on the gurney and, um, and or the stretcher, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and you know, life returned to normal. So we, we got on the plane finally and we flew back to Eugene and, um, we got home and didn't think about anything and it was either on the flight or after we got home that we found out that the first one of the first confirmed cases of covid in the united states aside from up in washington was at o'hare airport excuse me okay gotta take a breath every once in a while long sentences are a thing of the past um anyway Things were going along well, went back to work and everything, and um, right around the beginning of February, last week of January, beginning of February, I can't remember, it's right around there, um, I started to feel pretty bad. I had a high fever, um, had what felt like a lot of junk down in the bottom of my lungs. You know how that feels. I've had pneumonia about four, pneumonia, excuse me, (laughs) ammonia. Um, I've had pneumonia about four times, so I, I kind of know that feeling. And I've had bronchitis several times. Anyway, um, so I went to uh, Kaiser Permanente up in uh, Salem, and I said, you know, I don't know. I was on, I was at the airport the day that, you know, they said that the first confirmed case was there, you know, and, and things, and I told about the stretcher and I said and I feel like crap and and I would just like to get tested to see if I have this thing well in February of 2020 there weren't that many tests out there so they had me sit in an isolated area and the doctor conferred with some other doctors and he came out and says well we don't think you have COVID we think you have a virus and you're just going to get over it and that's okay and I said, you're not going to test me? And he goes, well, to be honest, there's not that many tests around. And, and we're only testing people that are, you know, we, we truly think have it. So he sent me home. 
if he sent me home with any meds, I don't remember. Um, so I went home and, and finished that. Well, I remember one of the times when I coughed, it it feel it felt like actually like my lung separated from the pleura. Um, it was the weirdest feeling. It was like I could feel my lung move up, my right lung move up, and and I was like, well, I better not cough anymore <laughs> because I don't want my lungs coming up through my esophagus, you know, my uh, trachea actually, and so. I try not to cough, and that's not a good idea because then, then you get pneumonia. Well, I never got pneumonia, and I finally got better and, and uh, you know, went back to work. I think it was off a week or two with that, and um, I went back to work and uh, felt fairly normal, and then I fell down and cracked a rib at work. Um, 2020 was not a good year for me. I'm usually not a klutz, you know, and I felt like a klutz in 2020. <laughs> Um, so anyway, it took time for me to heal. So what they did is they made, they made me go to work, but they kept me, um, on light duty. And I basically entered things into a computer all day long, which I normally like to do, but when you got to do it to get paid, it's not fun. You know, it is. Um, so anyway, I did that, uh, probably from, um, the end of February all the way to the beginning of June, I do believe, or it might have been May that I went back, the end of May. Um, and um, so I went back to work, and then a week or two later, I just started to feel really worse than I felt before in January. And um, I, I talked to my supervisor, who's a very nice and understanding man, Probably one of the best supervisors I ever had. I'm not mentioning names on this thing, so um, he'll watch and he'll know who I'm talking about. And he says, hey, listen, he says, when you call in about this thing, he says, talk to me and only me and write to me and only me. And now I know why. <laughs> but <clears throat> anyway, um, and, and, and if you hear me getting a Rod Stewart voice during this, it may happen. Um, that's part of what's going on, but um, all of a sudden I get a very hoarse voice, and and um, I, you know, I I sit here practicing "Wake Up Maggie" and uh, um, and a whole bunch of Rod Stewart songs when it, that happens. That's how I keep myself amused. Anyway, by the way, I don't represent Cabela's, but I recommend shopping there. Very good place to buy sporting goods. Good gun selection too. Well, they used to. Nobody's got guns anymore because they're all sold out. Um, but anyway, getting back to what we were talking about. So I was out for probably close to two months. And um, I, I would just keep getting this fever. It would come back for a day or two, then leave. I would feel good for two or three or four days. Then the fever would come back, last for a day or two, and leave. Well, finally, I decided, well, you know, I got to go back to work. I went and got a COVID test, and it was it came back negative. Um, the antibody test came back negative, too, um, which was really surprised me. But I learned later that, you know, the antibodies don't last in your body forever with this thing, and, and also that um, the test isn't totally reliable. Doctors have told me that the antibody test is um, basically, I think it's 60% reliable. So... I just chalked it up to the test and cut the mustard. Well, anyway, um, 
but I, I went back and the COVID test was negative. So I went back to work and I worked a couple of weeks and I'll be darned, all of a sudden um, I get a fever again. Well, the, the protocol at work at that time, it's changed probably about, it seems 20 or 30 times, probably only about four or five, but um, was that, you know, you go in and they ask you, you know, have you had a fever? Have you had a dry cough? Have you had shortness of breath? Have you had, you know, this and that? And if you answered yes, they, you know, even if you didn't have a temperature, they'd send you home. Because I figured I'd, I'd go in anyway and try to work, you know. I really wanted to work because I was feeling that good that day. But when I told them that I'd been sick in the last 72 hours, well, you're going home. And you're staying home for 72 hours. Um, and then you can come back to work with a doctor's note. So, um, and I always got doctor's notes. I've always done that when I've been sick. Because um, I frankly don't trust employers. And I'm finding it more and more difficult to trust this one especially. Um, so, anyway, I to make a long story short, this kept happening. And I missed more time between June of last year and December than I did work. You know, and because of that, I lost my femla for my heart. Um, because you have to work so many hours a year to, for, to have femla. And they have something here called OFLA here too, Oregon Family Leave Act. They, they got to try to do everything that the federal government does, but they're far lacking <laughs> when it comes to whatever they do. That's just the way Oregon is. But anyway, um, so um, January rolls around, and, and I start feeling a little better again, and I start trying to venture back to work, and, you know, I work a little bit, and then, damn, it happens again. You know, I, well, anyway, the rules had changed a couple times during that time, and now it was, um, oh, I can't remember, they've changed so much. But um, they would pay you for the first day off. This is what the rules are now. They pay you for the first day off, and you have to use your accrued leave time um, and any accrued leave time that you have if it's related to COVID. <sighs> anyway, um, however, most of us that have gone through this have used up our accrued leave time so we have none which means that we have an unexcused leave but often with a doctor's excuse it gets turned into excused leave well the problem is folks that we used to get be able to get our email at home our work email and then you know just like everything else some idiot did something stupid and so they changed it to where you can't get your work email so if things change in the email, you don't know about it until you go back to work. And many times when you go back to work, it's too late because the time has expired um, you know, or the, the rule has changed and, and it just messes you up. Um, the state of Oregon does things bass backwards to its employees. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so... I was talking to the doctor one day, and I said, Doc, I said, you know, I'm scared to go back to work. I really am. I, I've had this thing twice now, and I don't want it a third time. And so we talked about the, um, the injection because, you know, this is January of 2021 now, and 
uh, we're talking. I'm talking to him and the um, the uh, see. I get foggy sometimes and I forget the the COVID-19 vaccination had had come out and they were administering it to people. And I, so I said, should I take it or not? And at first he says, well, maybe you should take it. You know, maybe it'll help. And then after a while, he changed his mind. I have so many underlying conditions on top of the the long haulers that it's probably not a good idea. So, well, anyway, at the end of December, I got a note from my doctor stressing that I should probably stay on my own unit because they have a thing at work called floating. And if you're a nurse, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you go you go to work one day and, and they say, well, you know, we have enough people here, but they don't have enough people down on the third floor or whatever. Um, so you're going to have to go work down there for a day. And, you know, it's, it's, you just do it. But when, when you, when you've had this thing a couple of times, this, this virus or bacteria or whatever the stupid thing is, you're afraid of getting it a third time. Uh, I really am. I'm afraid of getting it a third time. I don't, I couldn't deal with that. I really couldn't. And I don't know what I would do if it happened, but, um, so anyway, the doctor wrote a nice note and said, you know, with all of his underlying conditions um, and the fact that, you know, a shot probably wouldn't do him any good, um, he shouldn't be wearing an M95 mask. And if you've ever worn one of those, folks, it, if you have a hard time breathing, you know, it's, it's like somebody put their hand over your mouth and pinched your nose. You can hardly get any air. Uh, he, so he shouldn't wear an M95 mask, and he should probably stay on his unit and not be exposed to a large amount of people, which makes sense, okay? And this is the whole thing that gets me with, with HR is that I don't think it's that they don't understand the math. They don't want to understand the math, okay? And here's the math. If I'm working on my unit, my regular unit, and I know the guys on my unit, you know, the, the, the well, they're patients, but they're inmates, too. Um, and if I know them on a consistent basis, you know, giving them their meds, talking with them and stuff like that, and we're wearing masks at work, they don't have to. Um, and the people that I work with are quite regular. I'm with the same people all the time. And I work with um, some very responsible nurses and um, MHTs, which are mental health technicians. And and if they know that they're coming down with something, they're going to go home. Okay, they're not going to stick around and infect anybody. So I work with responsible people. And so um, right now there's 29 guys on our unit, plus about five people that work on the unit. Our, we have a very... Uh, low acuity on our our units, so we don't need the uh, nurses that they need on some of the other units. The the uh, quantity of nurses and um, so anyway, um, I applied for. Oh, I talk with this, and I'm not going to say her name, but I, I I have no respect for the woman whatsoever. So I talk with her, and I said, she says, well, maybe you want to apply for ADA. Now I was kind of hesitant with that. Because with ADA, if if you can't do your your job responsibilities, then they can get rid of you. Okay, so I went into work and I proved that I could do my responsibilities, although it would win me. 
And um, but on the, I did it on the premise that I was you know waiting on the ADA and and for the doctor to answer the questionnaire that uh, the HR <laughs> I won't say woman but well she's a woman she's an old lady that's for sure. But anyway, um, that she sent to the doctor, and uh, I got on a no-float status, which worked out pretty well, actually. I, I um, you know, I'd go to work every day, and, you know, except when I got screened out because of fever and stuff. But anyway, anyway, I, um, I would, you know, I was really going, enjoying going back to work. I'd like to work. I've worked since I was 12 years old, for goodness sakes, you know, and... Um, and I want to work until I'm 65 so I can collect full Social Security. And um, that's my goal, okay? <laughs> that's my goal. Um, and I figured if I'm working just on my unit and... Well, anyway, the math. What's the math? Okay, so if I'm with 29 patients and 5 staff, that's 34 people, Okay. Now, bear in mind, we're, we're, we're kind of a subacute unit. There's not a lot of problems on our unit, not a lot of people flipping out or, you know, not, there's very few codes on our unit. And um, I, um, so if, that, if I work on my unit, let's just say my first day of the week there, and then they decide to float me on the second day, well, since the other units are more acute, they have more people working there. So my unit, if I'm working with 33 or 34, I might get floated to a unit where there's, you know, eight staff and 29 patients, which makes it, what, 30, uh, 37 people I'd be with. So day 133, day 237, they move me again on Wednesday or the third day, um, another 38. Um, you know, so we're at, at the end of the week, it's possible that I could be exposed to 100 people where different people, you know, all different people. Um, whereas if I just stayed on my own unit constantly, I would only be exposed to about 34. And believe me, folks, they're, they're monitored very well. Their temperatures are taken every shift. They're asked the, all the questions if uh, they're manifesting symptoms. And these guys are with it. They could... They can answer yes and no, and they know what a fever is and and everything else. So um, it's a safe work environment. It really is, whereas the other units aren't so safe. So um, anyway, I talked with the doctor one day, and the doctor said uh, I, it was a video thing. We were doing it online because they still, you know, are trying to keep the numbers down in the, in the clinics and stuff. And so he says, he says, I want to know something. Who drew up this document? And I said, well, as far as I know, it's it's the lady in HR. And he goes, well, it looks, <laughs> in his words, like a friggin' lawyer drew it up. And, um, and I said, well, you know, I don't think they would pay a lawyer to do something like that. It's the state, and they're cheap. But, um, you know, so and he answered him, and he answered him to the best of his ability, and he did a good job as far as I'm concerned. I have a copy of it here, but um, let me get in the Rod Stewart voice again a little bit. So, <laughs> wake up, Maggie. I think I got something to say to you. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I won't take up singing as my career. Okay, 
Um, I'm too old anyway. So anyway, he sent the thing in, and uh, there were three questions that were of very that were of importance. And two of them he mentioned that I should stay on my unit. And the one question was kind of confusing, and he, he mentioned the M95 mask, but he didn't mention staying on the unit. Well, you know, this woman just, like, zoomed in on that that one answer, and it was like, okay, well, you know, she ignored the other two answers and looks at that one and, and based her determination on that. And so she denied my ADA. So I called the doctor, and we had another chat back and forth, and I said, I don't know what to do. I said, you know, you're, you're as far as I could tell, your questions were, were right on. You answered them right on and, and truthfully. And and um, I said, but she picked up on the one question, and, um, you know, she's capitalizing on that one question. And, uh, by the way, I had to ask him for a copy of that that uh, letter that he answered because she wouldn't give me one. And that's my medical record. So she denied me my medical record. So that's against the law right there. But anyway, that, that's another story. Um, so anyway, I got a copy from him, and I called her, and I, you know, I, I just said, what's going on? You know, I, you know, actually, this is before she denied me. Um, so she kept going into that one question, and I'm like, yeah, but look at the two other questions. He answered it, you know, in in my defense, you know. Well, he said, you know, and I said, lady, you're not getting it. And then I went into the whole math thing, you know, of getting floated and being exposed to many more people. And um, now what you should know is that before I started this whole process, I called up the union and I explained everything that was going on and that she wanted to start ADA for me because that ADA kind of bothered me, you know, the idea of it. And... Um, because with, with with my profession, if you can't do your whole job, then you're you're worthless to your employer, right? So she said, the lady at the union said, well, I think that staying on your own unit is not an unreasonable accommodation, and that they'll give that to you. Well, they didn't know who they were dealing with, the witch of Endor here. Um, so anyway, um, I got a letter while I was out for a weekend again and it said that you know she had denied it and I would be floating and so I said well you know I want and when I talk to her on the phone I says I want to appeal this who do I appeal it to she goes well you can appeal it to my boss and I said okay so I did that and I wrote him and I said you know you're, I've, I've heard that you're a just and fair man and and uh, you make determinations based on fact rather than emotions and stuff like that and and which is true, I've heard nothing but good about the guy. So, anyway, um, I missed another weekend because I I tell the truth, folks. If they ask me if I've had a fever in the last 24 hours, I tell them yes, they send me home. What can I do? You know, I think it's for their safety and patient safety that I'm not, I shouldn't be there. You know, and, and they've obviously made that determination, and that's why they send people home for that reason, you know. And um, 
we have a lot of um, obligations here financially, and I can't afford to not be there, so I don't lie about it. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, where was I going with this? So, I um, I appealed to her boss. In the meantime, I called, and I, I'm telling you, these people are something else. I I I, t- I called um, the guy that's basically the head union guy at our hospital. <clears throat> who is not a people person, that's all I'm going to say. It's like he was very disturbed by my talking to him. He mentioned he was busy, and I didn't want to keep him on the phone, but he kept talking. So I'm like, okay, well, if, you, if you're going to keep talking, then obviously you're not that busy. I thought that to myself. And so I, I, when I would ask a question, he would go, oh, I mean audibly on the phone. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that made me feel like, you know, I was bothering him. Well, anyway, he assigned a, a very nice young lady to uh, be my shop steward. And um, she's working on this. And we've uh, put in a grievance with, you know, a union grievance with uh, with the hospital. But I've also filed with this organization, this Oregon organization that's similar to the National Labor Relations Board, except on a state level. And they look for discrimination, and boy, have I received it there, not only through these people, but also through some co-workers that um, basically have stated that those of us that have this, or there's there's one um, person at work that has a heart condition, and it's been hit a lot of times in the head, and really doesn't want, the doctor said if she gets hit in the head again, she it could be really dangerous, so... Um, you know, they she's got a, an order from her doctor not to flow to other units, which is good. You know, I don't think she should be anyway. But anyway, um, so I warned her ahead of time. I said, you know, they're they're planning on changing things, and she's yeah, I know. She says now I got to go back and talk to the doctor and get a new note and everything else. So anyway, um, so this is what's going on, and um. I've got all this stuff going through my head. You know, folks, I've always been the kind of person that I'm very analytical. And, you know, where some people think a week down the road, I think months down the road, even years down the road, to the actions of my of what I do, you know. Um, you know, like, you know, if I get screened out and I have to go home, it's like, oh, God, you know, it leaves that person, it leaves that other nurse all by herself and if they don't send her help you know she's going to have to pass meds and and run the whole unit well I've done that before and it's in our unit it's not that bad but RNs have a much more responsibility than I do and um, so you know I I worry about other people and and, uh, you know I'm empathetic in that way and um, whereas I I noticed that the people, especially in administration at our hospital, it's, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like the Gestapo is running the place sometimes, you know. It really is. And um, so uh, anyway, so when I'm, I'm 62, so I could get Social Security, but, you know, I, I wouldn't get as much as if I waited to 65, which is what I wanted to do. <coughs> anyway. I um, 
so I'm considering this. I'm actually considering just retiring. But, you know, then we also have a truck payment, a car payment, a mortgage payment. Then we were considering re, uh, refinancing our house. But if I retire early, that's probably not going to happen. Um, so, you know, we were going to pay off our bills with that. And then, um, you know, we'd have a pretty easy life. But life has never been easy in my estimation. But anyway, um, so in essence, what this woman and her boss are doing is they're forcing me into an early retirement. And maybe that's the plan all along, you know. Um, I've noticed I've gotten emails from, um, well, we get hospital-wide emails and uh, I've noticed uh, just last week when I was reading my emails, there was, uh, I think, four people are retiring because they see what's coming out down the road with all this. The The whole hospital is being restructured. Um, we used to have a, a cadence. You know, they, they if they when they were really bad, they would come into one unit. They would stabilize them, and then they'd come to another unit where they get further stabilized, and then another, and then... Finally, when they're they're getting close to being discharged or placed in a you know in a, a treatment care home or something like that, they come to our unit and then after a year or two or however many years it might take, they're they're um, transferred out to those places. But now they're not doing that anymore. They're just going to put everybody everywhere, and it's unfair for our unit and it's unfair for the patients that are on our unit. Um, so it's every time that you get used to something, they change it. Okay. And a lot of people can't take that. And I'm one of them. Um, and this had come up way after the COVID thing. So this, you know, didn't determine anything, but, um, so I could retire and work a part-time job maybe or uh, I talked to the doctor and I can't get on SSDI because my my symptoms haven't really because it's weird you know like I said I'll have a fever for a day or two and then I don't have one for four or five or maybe even two weeks you know uh, four or five days or even two weeks and then all of a sudden I get it again and um the clinic that we go to is in Salem, and that's an hour away, and the last thing I'm going to do when I'm not feeling good is hop in my car and drive an hour to a clinic, you know? Um, I'll be putting myself in peril, other drivers in peril. Yes, my wife could drive, but a lot of times she's her work schedule and I are, mine are kind of opposite, so she sleeps while I'm, you know, and I don't want her on the road driving when she's tired, so... Anyway, um, this is what is may affect opposing the matrix in the future. I don't know if it will. Um, there's a lot behind opposing the matrix. So we fund, or I fund, opposing the matrix by myself. Okay, I never asked for money, and I probably never will ask for money. Okay, I would rather cave the show than ask for money. <laughs> I, I, I've gone to churches where they browbeat you for money and stuff like that, and I refuse to be like that, you know. And um, anyway, um, 
you know, there's the storage for the show. There's the um, what the, uh, the you have to pay for your URL name, you know, your domain name once a year. Um, you got to pay for the service where you get hosted once a year, you know, and then um, so there's a lot of cash flow that goes out that you you know you you guys never know about, and I never will tell you how much those amounts are. Okay, um, but when you're funding something yourself and then finally you, you have to choose between, hey, am I going to eat or am I going to do a radio show or, hey, am I going to be able to make the mortgage payment or, you know, am I going to have to let the um, not pay the provider, you know, and, um, you know, my family always comes first, so. Anyway, you know, I hope these things don't happen. I really do. I, I love doing this. I would I would love to do this 24-7. Um, my doctor says that I don't have, like I said, when I, I go to the clinic, I don't manifest the fevers and stuff like that. So, um, because they've been over with, <laughs> you know. Um, they have it on record at work, as a, you know, a couple times when I walked in there. And uh, had a fever when I walked in. One time I walked in, I had 103, and he says, oh, just turn around and go home. Um, so the records are there, you know, at work, not at the clinic. Um, so I wrote to the doctor today, and I said, you know, I've got a lot of anxiety over this, and I know what I shouldn't. I know that when Brian and I talk, we always say, you know, don't worry, don't worry, but... Um, you know, there's there's always going to be some kind of degree of worry or concern or something like that. So um, anyway, um, I told the doctor, because I've got a whole bunch of tests coming up. You know, I'm a, a cancer survivor, so I have to have, um, um, no, what is that test? It's CAT scans um, every year. Um, I think after this year, it goes to every two or three years. I have to have, um, since I was it was colon cancer, I have to have the um, um, colonoscopy. Uh, you know, there's there's heart tests that I have to have and stuff like that. And I told the doctor, I said, if I can't work and I lose my job, I lose Kaiser. And, um, you know, so... Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens with all this. But I just wanted you guys to know what's going on. That, um, But um, now the second purpose of this show is I want to find out from any of you um, if you had something that is was akin to COVID. You might, might think that you had it or, um, or something like that. Or maybe you sheltered at home, never went to the doctor, never got tested or... Or something like that and um, what I'm interested in knowing is if and you don't have to tell me your medical history just a yes or a no would be nice um, but the question is you know are you having persistent symptoms beyond what the normal course of infection is you know two three weeks or something like that have you been hospitalized that's a different story but um, now I'm going on um, from from the initial infection in January of 2020. Um, that's 16 months, you know, 
And if you wanted to say that this was caused in June of last year, well, then that's what six, that's nine months, you know. And um, and I know that if you you have gone through that, and maybe you're you're going through work and you're going through something similar to me, maybe you got fired because you just couldn't make it because you were tired all the time. I've fallen asleep a couple of times at work, sitting in the middle of you with the patients. Um, you know, or I find myself falling asleep, and I get up and I, you know, I walk around and I go into the break room and just close my eyes for five minutes or something like that. And, um, but you know, the, the tiredness and the fevers from time to time, the intermittent fevers and the uh, what gets me is the persistent shortness of breath. I've never had this before, but every stupid test that they've given me, when they listen to my lungs, they're clear. When they um, do x-rays, they don't show any signs of lung damage. Um, and I know this thing's not in my head, you know, and I've done other lung tests, and now I'm scheduled to do some kind of treadmill lung test, and and another lung test, and then a, a cardiovascular, because now they wonder, hey, maybe it's his heart, you know. And um, so, because because COVID-19 affects a lot of the organs, not just the lungs. I mean, there's people that have had their kidneys destroyed, their livers destroyed, their, their, uh, their hearts, you know, uh, aren't working like they used to. And... Um, I used to, I used to pride myself actually, and it be, you know, I was like, hey, I'm 60 years old, I can, I can walk at a fast, brisk pace, and, you know, I could keep up with the younger people. Sometimes I'm faster than, was faster than the other people, and, um, now I'm not that way anymore. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm behind you guys, <laughs> you know, and, um, the stairs. I just don't even take the stairs at work anymore. That's that's a killer. Um, thank God for elevators. But um, anyway, I wanted to read from a couple of... Um, please bear with me, okay? Um, there's a... there's a, In the Harvard... Um, it says health.harvard.edu. So this is from Harvard University. <clears throat> and they're really up there when it comes to... Um, um, medical situations and uh and there's the article's name is the tragedy of long covid and boy i hope i can read this without running out of breath um and it says suppose you were suddenly stricken with covid19 you become very ill for several weeks on awakening every morning you wonder if this is the day that might be your last day <laughs> i've wondered that myself actually um and then you begin, but I get to go to paradise. <laughs> so, you know, I get to go to a much better place. But, you know, I don't want to leave my wife behind and stuff. But anyway, um, and then you begin to turn a corner every day. You, your worst symptoms, the fever, the terrible cough, the breathlessness, get a little better. You're winning, beating a life-threatening disease, and you no longer wonder if each day might be your last. In another week or two, you'll be your old self. But weeks pass, and while the worst symptoms are gone, you're still not your old self. 
not even close. You can't meet your responsibilities at home or at work. No energy. Boy, is that the truth. Folks, I got to tell you, there's times when I'm driving home at night where I got to stop at um, Dutch Brothers and pick up um, a coffee that that already has four shots in it and I get two extra shots just to be able to make it home and about five minutes away from the house I'm starting to get tired again so it's I understand that totally no energy on my days off I nap exclusively I've become a very non-energetic person and I love yard work that's why I got a yard um, anyway getting back to this even routine physical exertion like vacuuming leaves you feeling exhausted. You ache all over. You're having trouble. I don't ache all over. I'm thankful for that. You're having trouble concentrating on anything, even watching TV. I do have periods of that where you, you've heard it on the radio show, I'm sure. You know, I'll say, I can't remember that. And I attribute it to age, but it's not all age. Um, trouble celebrating on anything even watching tv you're usually uh forgetful you stumble over simple calculations your brain feels like it's in a fog folks when i'm at work and i'm passing medications i used to be able to do it without a thought now i for the sake of the patients i have to check myself two or three times sometimes just to make sure i have the right patient or the right med i never had to do that before i mean i'm doing good i'm I'm succeeding, and and I haven't done anything wrong, and I won't, because I won't allow that to happen, and, and the computer program I use won't allow it to happen either, but um, anyway, um, yeah, I understand this totally. Your doctor congratulates you. The virus can no longer be detected in your body. That means you should be feeling fine, but you're not feeling fine. The doctor suggests that maybe the terrible experience of being ill with COVID has left you a little depressed or experiencing PTSD. That's that's a possibility. It really is. Uh, the PTSD part. Maybe some psychi- psychiatric treatment would, would help. Believe me, after watching psychiatrists, that's not an option. <laughs> uh, since there's nothing wrong with you physically, you... You try the treatment, and it doesn't help. This is how common are lingering COVID symptoms. Ten, tens of thousands of people in the United States have lingering illness following COVID-19. In the U.S., we call them post-COVID-19 long haulers. Currently, the condition they are suffering is known as, as long, long covid I've never heard that term, although other names are being proposed. Published studies, and it says see here and here, I'm not going to click on those, and surveys conducted by patient groups indicate that 50 to 80% of patients continue to have bothersome symptoms three months after onset of COVID-19, even after tests no longer detect the virus in their body. And folks, I'll tell you that I heard it personally. The um, the head medical officer for the state of Oregon says this is a real thing. Okay. So it says which lingering symptoms are common? The most common symptoms are fatigue, yes. Body aches, eh, not so much for me. Shortness of breath, definitely. 
difficulty concentrating, yes. Inability to exercise, well, if you can't breathe, that's kind of hard to do anyway. Headache, every once in a while. And difficulty sleeping, which is why it's one one ten in the morning and I'm doing a radio show. <laughs> um, plus, I got rest earlier, but um, anyway... Um, since COVID-19 is a new disease, the first appearance in, that first appeared in December 2019, we have no information on long-term recovery rates. Yeah, well, I can, I, I'll tell you a few things. <laughs> um, moving towards a better definition of long haulers and, and, and a new name. Uh, very different chronic illnesses may develop into some people who have had COVID-19. So the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, has proposed a unifying name, post-acute squale of SARS-CoV-2 or COV-2 infection. Yeah, it figures they have to make a long name out of it, right? Um or PASC, SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID-19. Most people who get COVID-19 recover within weeks or a few months. However, some will likely suffer chronic damage to their lungs. I'm raising my hand. Heart, kidneys, or brain, and the virus that the virus infected. Others will develop long covid we do not yet have a formal definition of long COVID. In my opinion, such a definition should include three points. I can make about seven or eight more points, but point one, a medical diagnosis of COVID-19 based on both symptoms and diagnostic testing for the SARS-2 coronavirus. Well, that's BS because you can have a fever one day and go in the next and it still comes negative. Um, that virus test is is not good. It's sorry, but it's it's lacking. Even doctors are saying that there's only like a 50% um, accuracy rate. Anyway, point two: not having returned to pre-COVID-19 level of health and function after six months. Number three, having symptoms that suggest long COVID, but no evidence of permanent damage to the lungs, heart, and kidneys that could cause those symptoms. Um, then, then there's another kind of um, small title here. Is long COVID the same as chronic fatigue syndrome? Dr. Anthony Fauci Ooh, the magnificent, wonderful Dr. Anthony Fauci. Blessed be his name. <laughs> Sorry. Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease has speculated that long COVID likely is the same or very similar to myalgic encephalomyelitis slash chronic fatigue syndrome. ME slash CFS can be triggered by other infectious illnesses such as mononucleosis, Lyme's disease, and several acute respiratory syndrome, a severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS, another corona-like disease. Before the pandemic, the National Academy of Medicine estimated that as many as 2.5 million people in the U.S., 
are living with ME or CSF. Um, I currently published an article in the journal, Frontiers of Medicine, indicating that the panic could well the pandemic, excuse me, could well double that number in the next year. Who's more likely to become a long hauler? Currently, we can't accurately predict who will become a long hauler. As an article in Science notes, uh, people only mildly affected with COVID still can have lingering symptoms, and people who are severely ill could be back to normal two months later. However, continued symptoms are more likely to occur in people over age 50, against me, people with two or three chronic illnesses, well, there you go, and, well, if you count the cancer that I'm over, um, and possibly people who became very ill with COVID-19. Um, another title, what might cause the symptoms that plague long haulers? Um, research is underway to test several theories. People who have ME-CFS, which is chronic fatigue syndrome, and possibly people with long COVID may have one or more of these abnormalities. Number one, an ongoing level of inflammation in the brain. Number two, an, an autoimmune condition in which the body makes antibodies that attack the brain. Number three, decreased blood flow to the brain due to abnormalities of autonomic nervous system. Number four, difficulty making enough energy molecules to satisfy the needs of the brain and body. What the heck are blood molecules? I mean, um, energy molecules. Anyway, the bottom line, how many people may develop long COVID? We can only guess. But late February, by late February 2021, almost 30 million Americans were confirmed to have been infected by the virus, and I'm going to say, or whatever the thing is, probably more than were never diagnosed, probably many more were never diagnosed, or the doctors wouldn't diagnose them, as in my case. Early studies indicate that 1 in 10 people with this COVID-19 may develop long COVID that lasts at least a year. Ultimately, how long these illnesses last remains to be determined. For this and many other reasons, the strain of Amer the strain on the American health system, oh, here we go, it's all about the money. Um, and the economy from the pandemic will not end soon. Fortunately, the NIH and CDC have committed major support for researching on long, long COVID. Um, in the U.S. and around the world, planning is underway to develop centers dedicated to researching into long, co long COVID and caring for those who have it. Virtually every health professional I know believes that the pandemic in the U.S. could and should have been better controlled than it has been. Bad mistakes rarely lead to only temporary damage. So... Well, that was a little stab at President Trump. Um, and there's a bunch of people thanking him for the article. And this is coming from Harvard University, okay? So if you're suffering with post-COVID symptoms, um, it's a real thing, okay? 
Um, I wanted to read one more article, if it's okay with you. I don't even know how long I've been on. Let's see. Looks like there's no counter here. So, anyway, the beat goes on. Nope, there's no counter on here. All right. Well, let's let's continue. Well, the I got the energy and uh, I'm awake. Okay, name of this article. And this is from Cleveland Clinic. Okay, health.clevelandclinic.org is where this comes from. Uh, what it means to be a coronavirus long hauler. A question and answer about lingering symptoms of COVID-19. This article was updated on January 26, 2021 to reflect the new information about the rapidly evolving situation, originally published July 10, 2020. In the ever-evolving story of coronavirus, COVID-19, experts have now learned that some people can experience symptoms of the illness many weeks and even months after having it. No, duh. Um, according to one report, most people fall into one of two groups when it comes to the virus. Approximately 80% of these, those with COVID-19, end up having a mild reaction, and most of those cases resolve in about two weeks. For people who have had severe response to the virus, it can take between three and six weeks to recover, but... Now there is a growing concern over a separate group of people who don't seem to fall into either of these two categories. One study states that about 10% of the people who've had the COVID-19 will experience prolonged symptoms one, two, or even three months after. I've got news for you. It goes a lot longer than that. One of the most frustrating parts, there seems to be no consistent reason for this to happen. This group may refer, which many refer to as long haulers. And you know, folks, I didn't even know about long haulers until the doctor told me about it. You know, I, I, it was weird. I don't know. Um, um, is it referred to as long haulers is mixed to those who experience both mild and severe cases. And this condition can affect anyone, young and old, those who were healthy and those who had chronic condition, those who were hospitalized and those who weren't. We're now seeing these patients whose symptoms seem to be lingering for quite a while, says the family medical provider Christopher Bobich, MD. This is challenging because everyone needs everyone's needs are so unique. We're finding that c- collaborating as a team between different specialists helps to manage and support these patients, but there's a lot that we're still learning. Here, Dr. Babich answers the questions about everything we know and and don't know yet about coronavirus long haulers. So question, what is the average age of long haulers? At this point, we can't determine the average age or predict who may have long-term symptoms. There is a mix of relatively young, healthy people who are seeing this in long in a long-term group, as well as older individuals. 
Hospitals are still working to analyze the data about this group and a lot of collaboration and research is happening. We'll make a damn diagnosis about it, if you would, so those of us that have it can get help. Sorry, didn't mean to use the word damn. Okay, question, do most long haulers have underlying or chronic medical conditions? Answer, we think so, but it's still too early to say for sure. Our experience shows much long haulers, most long haulers tend to fall into high-risk category, but there's also a growing percentage of people who were otherwise healthy before they became infected. From what we know so far, it still ran, seems random as to who experiences these long-haul symptoms and who doesn't. Um, question, what symptoms do coronavirus long haulers typically experience? Long-lasting symptoms often include coughing, tightness in the chest, shortness of breath, here, here, headaches sometimes, muscle aches, and diarrhea. Well, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that part comes into play. But perhaps the most significant symptom that is being seen across the board of coronavirus long haulers is fatigue. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I, here's, here's the other day I woke up at 10 o'clock in the morning and I'll admit it was because I was up late because I couldn't sleep. Um, I got dressed. We went shopping. My wife and I did. Walked around the store for a little while, got something to eat, came home, and I fell asleep for two hours. And then I woke up, and I fell asleep again around dinner time. So just walking around the stupid supermarket for maybe 45 minutes, and I'm worn out, right? Um, let's see... Okay, chronic is fatigue. Oftentimes, this group feels very run down and tired. They can't exert themselves or exercise. And simple tasks like walking to the mailbox will often leave them feeling exhausted. Chronic fatigue, like we're seeing in this group, can be incredibly debilitating and frustrating. Many long haulers also report a brain fog difficulty concentrating or they feel like they aren't as sharp as they used to be. Yep. And it's not all because of age. I'm putting that in there. Question, are coronavirus long haulers still contagious? It's not very likely, but it's a sticky question to answer. Typically, after having an active infection like COVID-19, the contagiousness goes away after a week or so and you start to recover. We less commonly see persistent fevers in this group, which oh, we commonly see persistent fevers in this group, and that's me, which hints that they are probably they probably aren't infected. Wait a minute. We less see commonly persistent we less commonly see persistent fevers in this group, which hints that they are probably aren't infectious months later, but it can vary. Yeah, I, they're not persistent fevers I have. I get them 
once in a while, but when I get them, I get them. Um, the vast majority of long haulers test negative for COVID-19. Yes, it's true. Despite lingering symptoms, we definitely uh, we define a long hauler as still having some sort of symptoms 28 days or later after they were first infected. Question, why are some people experiencing long-lasting symptoms and others aren't? We know that COVID-19 starts an inflammatory response in the body, which can cause a chain of events with many different symptoms and outcomes. Unfortunately, at this time, more research needs to be done to help us explain why this can lead to prolonged symptoms in some people. In the future, we'll be able to tell the full long-term effects that COVID-19 has on the kidneys, the lungs, and there's a link to that one, and the heart, but we just aren't there yet. Now, this is a medical community that could make a vaccine in three months, but they can't figure out what long haulers is, and they've had a year and a half to do it. If someone is experiencing symptoms months after testing positive for COVID-19, or if they believe they had it in the past, what should they do? If someone tested positive or believes that they were infected at least 28 days ago and is still experiencing symptoms, they should contact their doctor. Well, you know what? I've got a good doctor, and contacting a doctor is good, but... Finding out anything is less than adequate. You know, when you when you go to, in and you're complaining that you were sent home from work a few days ago, three or four days ago, because you had symptoms, and they listen to your lungs and they're clear, and, you know, the, everything else turns out, all the tests turn out to be negative. For everything, you know, <laughs> you gotta. It's bizarre. I can't. I can't explain it. Um, question: How are healthcare providers treating and managing the coronavirus long haulers? Many health systems are starting to streamline care for this group of patients. Long haulers should go through testing involving behavioral pulmonary and respiratory, cardiovascular, and neurologic health. From there, a care path and treatment is recommended, and a team of providers will monitor the patient moving forward. It's also important to drink fluids to stay hydrated, rest, focus on sleep, manage stress, and eat well. Well, eating well is no problem, but trying to sleep, yeah, right. And they don't want to give you anything to help you sleep anymore because you can get addicted to it. So um, there's a lot of collaboration and research happening as more data is collected. And we start to piece together the long-term effects of COVID-19 on the body. The team is there to identify symptoms that worsen and get them to the right level of care. We're also seeing that depression and anxiety are big issues, amen, for these long haulers. So checking in to see how they're doing is another important aspect in a monitoring program. 
question, should long haulers still get COVID-19 vaccine? <laughs> Story behind that. Um, the CDC has recommended that vaccines should not be withheld from those with prior infection of COVID-19, regardless of being symptomatic or asymptomatic. If you've tested positive for the virus or believe you had it, you'll need to wait 10 days until you are no longer showing symptoms to receive the vaccine. My question, if you've had the virus and you've beat it, you should have antibodies and shouldn't need the vaccine. I, um, my doctor has said that the vaccine probably wouldn't do me any good um, because of all my underlying conditions and everything, but I just saw a doctor the other day that told me that if I took the vaccine, it seems to help long haulers. Now, this woman, when I told her about long haulers, I had to explain to her what it was, and then she's trying to tell me that I should take the vaccine because studies show. Well, if studies show, you should have known about it, and I shouldn't have had to tell you about it. So, I don't like doctors that are liars. So anyway, where do we go from here, folks? Um, bosses are not willing to accept that this is a problem. They do not, They, as far as I know, they are not giving, um, they're coming up with an excuse that there's no money left to pay for people that are exhibiting long haulers. They're, um, it, for me, it's being used against me. Um, I, one of the reasons, I don't know, this woman that I'm having all the surus from, she, um, she said that, um, she, con con she, excuse me, she questioned me two or three times or made assertions, I should say, that um, me missing so much time last year is a factor um you know, she can't understand that, and it's, well, she won't say that it's a factor for denying me the law, the uh, ADA. You know, why bring it up two or three times, you know? Um, yeah, we'll see what happens with her and with her boss, because um, if, I, if I don't get a, some kind of satisfaction from the union or from the state of Oregon, I'm hiring a lawyer because I'm basically being bullied at work and I'm, I'm being persecuted for being sick. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't walk up to somebody and say, hey, kiss me on the mouth so I can get COVID or cough on me so I can get COVID. It just happened, you know, um, and again, I don't know if it's a virus or a hybrid disease that, or bioweapon or whatever. Seeing that Bill Gates is involved in, it's, in it, everything that has to do with COVID, I kind of think that maybe it is a bioweapon. Um, but um, anyway, um, it's, it's really been hard those, these last few months. It really has. It's... You know, I um, I try to get explained it to the upper echelon at work, and they're 
you know, you would think that an institution like a hospital that's dedicated to healing or bringing forth good health would understand things like this, but it's almost like they hold it against you. It's it's the most bizarre thing I think I've ever seen. Um, it's um, and I've, I've stated that basically in a letter to somebody at work um, that has a little bit of influence, and um, I don't know. I just don't. I don't see empathy. I don't see, you know, it's like it's it's like you know the the hospital's a business and you're hurting the business because you're not feeling good, you know. And it's like this shouldn't be this way. It really shouldn't be this way. And um, I know one person that she actually um, when she she had full blown well. Actually, I did too in that January, but I didn't know what it was. And but she actually got on short-term disability when she had her whole family had it, and um, they paid her. Accidentally paid her from her, um, you know, for a week that she missed. And um, but she was also on disability, so now work just took a whole week's worth of pay out of her check. So what does that accomplish except to, first of all, piss off the employee? And second of all, you know, just it's an injustice. It really is. It's uh, the uh, the insurance company should have checked and interfaced with the employer to let them know that, hey, we're going to be paying her, so don't you pay her or you pay her and we won't pay her or for that week or something like that, you know, and. Um, so she's the victim because two organizations couldn't interface with each other and, and talk to each other, you know. It's um, it's a mess, and, and this whole COVID thing is is showing just how big a mess the healthcare system is, especially here in Oregon. Um, my goodness, I've never seen anything like this before, and I've been in healthcare for since I was um, 32 years old and I'm 60 now, okay, 62. So I've been in healthcare for 30 years, and I've never seen mismanagement and and stupidity like I'm seeing today. I've never seen a a woman in a position where she can deny people a woman that has absolutely no expertise in anything medical coming up with medical conclusions to deny people from from the Americans with Disability Act, you know, and um, and her boss is the same way, you know, it's, I've never seen anything like this before, it's, it's like watching children run, run a, their parents wild, you know, or uh, running a household and telling the parents what to do, and it's like, um, it's like the inmates are running the asylum, actually. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I've got a few letters coming up. One of them is going to be to our governor, who who instructed us that if we didn't feel good, that we should um, shelter in place and not be around other people. So she's telling us that. And um, when I feel that it's safe... For me to, 
kind of shelter on my unit and not be and not be around other people that you know where I can get it. I'm persecuted by this tramp at work that says that you know that has absolutely no medical expertise. You know, so I just I don't get it. It's just um, so I don't know. Maybe it's an appeal that I have tonight that if you're a praying person, especially if you believe in in Yeshua, that uh, you pray for me in this situation because um, it's coming to a head. It's coming to a boil, and um, either they're going to give me ADA and, and do what I ask. Or I'm going to have to retire and hire a lawyer and sue them. That's all there is to it. Um, there's, there's a lack of common sense and a lack of uh, decency, a lack of morals and values in, in this in Oregon State Hospital. And um, I'm going to go ahead and name them. And um, it needs to be fixed. It really does. Um Money's mismanaged. Patients aren't cared for the way they should be. Um, it's just bad scene, folks. And um, someday I'm going to write a book. I've got the name for it. I've got the chapters all laid out in my head. And I've got the idea of what's going in those chapters. And um, so it would be at their, to their advantage that they kept me at work because if they lay me off or if I have a lot of time on my hands, this gives me a chance to write the book. And the book is going to expose a lot of things. It's going to name, uh, I'll have pseudonyms for people, of course, but um, people will know who they are by their titles. And um, it's a very sick organization that it's, the people of Oregon are paying to entrust them to take care of sick people. And um, something's got to change. So anyway, with this in mind, just if you would, just keep keep me in prayer, keep my family in prayer. I just want to be able to either work unfettered uh, on my unit without floating or somehow to be able to not work anymore, just retire and be able to meet my obligations. If there's anybody out there who wants to pay off our bills, that'd be great. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but um, anyway, it's um, it's going to be a rocky road in 2021, folks. I'm just letting you know that ahead of time. And um, I'm going to do everything I can to keep uh, posing the matrix up and going. And um, and I mean anything I can. So um, hang in there with me, if you would. And um, let's kind of walk through this thing together. And uh, all I'm asking for is prayer. And uh, if you feel inclined to do more, then that's up to you. But... Um, prayer would be really nice that um, the good Lord above uh, Yahweh would um, would provide answers and provide a way. We used to sing a song in um, church, um, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in things we cannot, in ways we cannot see. He will find a way for me. Uh, he will be my guide, hold me, close me closely to his side. Um, something 
and then it says Jesus is the way I can't remember that one part of the song but um, anyway he'll get us through this and your prayers are deeply appreciated so anyway I'm going to close this thing down because I got to go to bed I finally got tired and uh, maybe this is the therapy I've been looking for but um, anyway just help me uh, prayer to help me to make the right decisions and to and for God to do the things that he needs to do Yahweh that is and um, um, I just don't want to act rashly or brashly or you know out of his will but I'm I'm getting down to wit's end, and I need um, I need some guidance from Yahweh, so um, and help <laughs> from Yahweh. So uh, anyway, I will close this show out. I'll probably upload it tomorrow sometime. Um, be blessed, and uh, Brian and I will be back next Monday. And uh, we talked about what we were going to talk about. Oh, yeah, um, the secret space program. Um, and also the um, U.S. Space Force. Are they related to one another? Have we been out in space a long time? Have we colonized other planets already? Um, other moons, like the moon Titan of, uh, of Jupiter. Um, you know... Um, are we on the dark side of the moon? Are we on the other side? Are there aliens on, living out on these worlds? And you know who we think aliens are. They're fallen angels. Um, anyway, so that, that kind of gives you an idea of what we're going to talk about. And um, we're getting ready for that as, we, you know, as the days go on here. So um, anyway, be blessed. And thank you for listening to this. Thank you for letting me air my uh air my mind out here and um we uh we'll talk with you soon um next monday for sure if not sooner okay god bless you all and um well we will until we meet again thank you bye-bye